You're listening to the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide Podcast. Hey, if your journey down the proverbial rabbit hole has cost you friends and family, or maybe it's just convinced your loved ones that you're a little bit crazy, this podcast is for you. Nothing's off limits. We're going to cover it all from a biblical worldview. There's going to be humor, insight, and validation for your journey. So join us as we learn to walk through this crazy world as a Christian truther, as we shed every ounce of willful ignorance so we can fulfill our destiny and leave a legacy. Welcome everyone, this is John. You people are my people. I'm going to be your host today. This is the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide Podcast, if you can believe such a thing. The title of my talk today is Why I Got Up and Walked Out of the Church. Now before you go judging me, you know, the party line in the church official is, are you in a local church? You know, that's a good thing. You don't want to be out there on your own. Hebrews 10, though, is not a commandment. It says, let us encourage one another, not forsaking the gathering together with saints. So fellowship is not necessarily a building on the corner. But that's not really what I'm going to be talking about today with you. I'm going to be talking about folks that have reluctantly conceded that their Bible against all orthodoxy is being supernaturally changed to fulfill end times prophecy. And maybe your spouse sitting next to you not only thinks you're nuts for believing that, but has forbidden you to bring it up. So now you're sitting in church next to her and the pastor is engaged in a spectacle from the pulpit where he's reading from the same Bible you have. Let's say it's a King James only church like I was in. And he's reading, the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. And he says love, but in his Bible, in your Bible, it says charity. That's what happened to me. Now, you can't say anything because you're going to elicit World War III with your spouse. You can't say anything to the pastor because you've already confronted him twice with a list of 20 different Bible change examples. And he told you that you have a demon and you need medication. And if you bring it up anymore, you're going to have to leave. That's thousands and thousands of people that I've personally interacted with. There's probably millions of us now. So this is real. This is not going away. And the people are leaving the church because the church leadership is reluctant to accept this or severely recalcitrant. They're not only reluctant, they're fortifying themselves against this for all the wrong reasons. And so that's what we're going to be talking to you today about. And also, just to what it's like to be a Christian truther walking through this wicked world. Because what happens is you, you find Christ or Christ finds you, and that'll turn your world upside down. You get persecuted for naming the name of the Lord. Unfortunately, the world is going to persecute you for Jesus, and the church is going to persecute you for suggesting that 9-11 was an inside job or the earth is flat. 
So welcome. If that's you, you're in the right place. We're glad you're here. You know, but you found out your friends and family don't know, but they don't want to know. And this sets up a very difficult set of interpersonal relation dynamics that in most cases are intangible. They're insurmountable and you have to sue for peace. You have to decide to be quiet for the rest of your life and conform to their worldview to stay in rapport with them because they're not going to budge. And ultimately what you realize is you're not going where they're going and they're not going where you're going, at least not anytime soon. And you are the one, truther, that is going to have to come under their worldview. Because they've told you, I don't want to talk about these things. If you talk about these things, I can't have a relationship with you. That's the, the horns of the dilemma that you're thrust onto. So we're glad you're here because you're not alone. You believe the moon landing is fake and the ISS is fake and 9-11 is fake. And there's underground bases and the world's run by Luciferian blood-drinking psycho mobsters. You sense the urgency in the air. You sense that the breakaway civilization uh, is not, does not have your best interest in heart. Let's just put it that way. You found out some things. You don't believe these things. You know they're true. However, those around you could know they're true but choose not to know they're true for various reasons. Primarily, they want to maintain their happy life. They have decided to turn a blind eye to these dark themes and refuse to join your posse because it's a buzzkill. That's what you are. You're Debbie Downer. And they don't want any part of your little conspiracies. And so you are forced to make a decision. You're going to live a lie you're going to hold this close to the breast with your family. That's fine. I don't, I don't advocate that anybody blows up their family for these topics. You have to basically place them above anything, especially marriage and children. However, it's not you that's giving the ultimatums. Truthers don't go to their loved ones and say, if you don't talk to me about these crazy things, I can't have a relationship with you. We don't do that. I've never heard of anybody doing it. I didn't do it. I've heard a lot of people, though, told, told me that they were told that they were given shut up or else orders. That's for shops. That's 100%. Most of the time, that's what happens. Okay. Well, that's humiliating. That's degrading, especially if you're the father and the husband and you have your spouse or children telling you. Dad, if you talk about crazy things, I can't have a relationship with you. That is extremely disrespectful. It's demeaning. You become a pariah in your own home, and you're forced to knuckle under their worldview, which, hello, is deception. You're right and they're wrong. Let's not forget that. Now, if you're a truther, you know what I'm saying is true. This is not a pity party in our own echo chamber. Now, if you're a normie, you listen to this, you're going to maybe think I'm bitter or I'm some kind of, you know, on some pity, self-pity path or something. But I've been interacting with thousands of people that have embraced these topics for over, almost seven years now. And I can say with 100% certainty that the response to these unsanctioned topics 
is universally the same. The matrix does not treat you well if you start questioning officialdom. The matrix doesn't treat you well. And so if your family's still in the Truman Show and you decide, I'm not living in the Truman Show anymore, it is not going to go well for you. So that's what Wake Up or Else on YouTube is, wakeuporelse.com. And also over here, we are on this platform talking about the journey of the truther. You can pick up my book, The Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide. It's 300 pages of validation to give you um, hope and guidance for this path that you're on, the Christian truther path. All right, and so as is my habit, I'm going to just take a minute and just touch on some of the headlines that we see right now in January, 22nd of January. I call this the Sons of Issachar update. That's from 1 Chronicles 12.32. The Bible describes some men who said they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So they were, they were aware. They were, they were awake. They understood the geopolitical events of the day. So it's okay to uh, have an opinion on these topics. This is one of the reasons I came over here to this platform, so we can talk about these topics. And, um, you know, what I'm seeing right now is a lot of examples of public figures, sports coaches, boxers, celebrities. I saw Jerry Seinfeld ream out this guy that was asking him all these questions about woke stuff and racism. He just shut him down. Uh, the UFC president, Dana White, just obliterated this liberal reporter. He's trying to ask him questions about racism and equality. And is he going to put a leash on the fighters when they go to the mic? He was like, I'm not going to dictate what anybody says or believes. So this other boxer was cursing every other word, but he was phenomenal. He just told this one journalist, you are a disease. You are the reason for all the problems in this world. You, <laughs> it was powerful, man. And so this is what we've worked for. We have worked for an awakening where people that have a voice start to question officialdom like we have. And what I found, however, is in the truther community, if you begin to express any, any sentiment of hope to the truther community, that they will very often pounce on you like you're a doofus, like you're going soft and you're just naive and you're not really in the know because the future is nothing but death, destruction, and everybody's a shill. You're losing your edge, John. You're treated like an axe murderer if you try to suggest that there's anybody in any positions of power that have goodwill towards men. Okay? I understand the top echelons, echelons of the political system are infiltrated. But what about the middle and lower sections? What about you? What about you and me? I mean, think of it, uh, how they censor us on all the social media channels. They being... The power structure they're doing that for a reason they're censoring us because they don't have all power they do not have godlike power they have to deceive us they're censoring people that have a soul because those people are a threat so 
I believe that there is a, uh, an attempt to co-opt the truther community by undermining our hope into thinking, what's the use? Everybody's a shill, so why bother fighting? Okay, but so when you see things that are good that are happening, guard your mind because, you know, let's not discount what God can do. Right? In the great market crash of 1929, the market was crashing, but during that period of time going down, there was these great rallies on the way down. The market would rally. And so we have to have the spirit of victory with God because God is always makes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Jesus and God are irrationally optimistic. Okay, so he has, a, he has a Walls of Jericho event for us. He has a parting of the Red Sea. He has us being translated. He has angelic visitations. Let's not allow our own arrogance where we're looking down our nose at other people who are trying to implement some sort of hope and faith and make a difference that you're better than them, you know more than them, because you know death and destruction is around the next corner. I'm serious. Why are we fighting so hard to wake people up? And when they start to see waking up, they just say, oh, it's all shill, it's all fake. So it's a double psyop on you. It makes you stop fighting because you think, what's the use? We don't need if what we see on the TV is just CGI. If Washington is even operating, I've heard people saying that all the buildings are empty. I haven't been there. I've seen green screens with CNN. I've seen all kinds of stuff that's obviously being faked. Crisis actors. So when you look at the news, there's five or six levels of truth behind it. So it's very difficult to formulate any kind of coherent political views. Right? I have a belief that I exist and that I'm created in the image of God. And that whatever was given to the original authors in the Bible was true. And beyond that, it's a crapshoot. I know I'm living, I'm not in a video game, okay? I'm a person, I have a soul, and I'll live forever in the presence of God once I draw my last breath. But is there a border crisis? I think so. I think if I went down there in a car, I would see that there's a million people a month coming over the border. Many of them are military age people. We're... we're we're living in this country called the United States, which, by the way, United States Inc. is a corporation. Jan Halper came out on a British news show and finally admitted that publicly for the first time. But it's actually now called the Office of Joe Biden, Inc. I kid you not. But we're running out of time, ladies and gentlemen, for any type of normalcy in our life. And it's time to make a short list with the King of Glory. Make sure you've got your, your house in order. So I don't think we're going to be able to put this genie back in the bottle. Even if there was some sort of turnaround, uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride in 2024. So it's just really difficult to watch these examples of corruption happening right in front of you. Where Hillary, they show that she's got the server in her basement and they prove that it's got classified stuff on it and then nothing happens. They have an election expert demonstrates in front of a judge that the Dominion voting machines, right in front of the judge, he hacked into it with a pen. 
and change the votes in the machine with a pen, pushing a little button. <laughs> and then, of course, nothing happens. You know, most normal people would think, oh, the, you know, the, the law is going to come in and crush that. No, nothing happens. So you become very disenchanted with trying to do anything. But don't you believe that, dear soul, for one second? You can make a difference. We all need to be like Worf in the Star Trek episodes. He said, today is a good day to die. Right? We were born for such a time as this. This is our hour of visitation. Some men are born to greatness. Others have it thrust upon them. That's you. So we have all these examples of, of people now that are dropping dead. These are people that made a big deal out of people, other people not taking the vax. I believe this is a judgment of God. So you have people that are making a big deal, like one of the guys that was really vocal about this one tennis pro, I forget his name, he, he was not allowed to go to Wimbledon because he refused to take the monkey juice, right? Well, that guy just dropped dead right on TV. I've never seen so many people in my born days dropping dead on the TV. They're carrying soccer players off. High school kids are dying. It was one week where two 18-year-old men died on a basketball court, in high school basketball. They died because they were tricked into injecting themselves with what amounts to an artificially intelligent parasite. It creates prions and it, it, it changes your DNA into the Borg. This is a horror, science fiction horror movie that we're in. And it's time for us to acknowledge, which is actually what's happening. So here's some good news. Not only are the people turning on these people at Davos, which is meeting right now, there were people inside of Davos, world leaders, calling out the heads of Davos. Yeah. Oh, it's all a trick to lure us into complacency. Well, what are you spending your time for, podcast creator? You know, truther, trying to spread truth. And then when these things actually start to have an impact, you just recoil into thinking it's all fake to lure you into complacency or some cockamamie. Something. No, no, it's working. Press the battle. You know, you got these world leaders going through... Africa, like Obama goes over there and he tells all the Africans, you can't, you shouldn't be able to have air conditioning. And Prince Charles tells all the people in England, because of their carbon footprint, that they need to stop taking hot showers. Meanwhile, Prince Charles has his own private train, his several private jets and several private helicopters and three or four palaces lecturing us on how we shouldn't have a hot shower. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. So that's the uh, Sons of Issachar update. I'm going to be doing that at the beginning of every show. This, uh, this talk here is a retread of a talk I did back in November. And I think it's really helpful to understand the mindset of people that are tribulating over these Bible changes and what it's like to be in the church around people of God when you're the only one that realizes that this is happening. And so, take a listen to this, and we'll be back at the end to finish this up. 
we're all just sojourners in a foreign land. You know, I didn't, I didn't uh, ask to be born. I just got born into this world. And, you know, and then like when I was 23, I found out there was a God. I mean, I knew there was a God, but I didn't know him. And he tapped me on the shoulder, just like a lot of you. And he started me on my journey. And it went on for, you know, a bunch of years, 30-something years. And then, boom, I found out the Federal Reserve wasn't federal. That was my entry point. And then I went to reptilian shapeshifters. The alien deception was a big one. I found out that the aliens and the all, you know, Alpha Centauri and all this, all that was just fallen angels. I didn't know that. A biblical worldview Christian, 30 years, I didn't know aliens were the fallen angels. Can you imagine? So then, of course, 9-11 was a seminal moment. You know, it's like once you're in the truth or thing, you you see, you can start to see all kinds of stuff because now you're looking for it. <clears throat> the moon landing was like five minutes into that. I was like, "This is ridiculous. This is so obvious." Like, they, like the 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 lander looks like it was made with curtain rods and, and tape. There's tape on it. It's supposedly 200 degrees in the day. You know, come on, man. ISS are on wires. The guys have their helmets and there's bubbles coming out while they're doing a spacewalk. Just it goes on and on. But then, of course, like many of us, we bumped into this Mandela effect thing somewhere along the way. And a lot of us, like me, it was first it was the stuff in pop culture. I didn't know the Bible's changing yet. You know, I found that about mirror, mirror on the wall and whoever, whatever, and then all of a sudden the Bible's changing. I hear about the lion and the lamb. What? And I had actually had a debate with my pastor, the pastor I'm going to talk about tonight, for not, on 9-11 for like a month, and he was a staunch official story guy. I mean, he would not budge, and he studied it too which is pretty unbelievable. You, he was studying it diligently and still coming to the same conclusion. That was probably the most profound example of willful ignorance I ever saw in my life. So this guy is smart. I mean, this godly guy, just full of, the God, full of God, researching 9-11. But you know what it is, is they research from the debunked side only. I mean, they probably watch Loose Change and stuff, but ultimately... You know, it's just you have this this extreme bias, and you can't you can't uh, open up your heart and mind. Like people really need to just stop and go, "Okay, Lord, if this is real, I ask you to show me." I don't think they ever do anything like that. Well, anyway, he and I were going at it, and I finally was. He was like, "John, is there anything that you won't believe?" He goes, "I." There's people out there that are saying the earth is flat. Well, he's that's how I was first introduced to the idea that the earth is flat. Well, I looked into that. I found Eric Dubay, who I don't recommend because he's not Christian, but he's a brilliant researcher, probably the most eloquent teacher on the flat earth thing. And it was like five minutes. It was like, this is so obvious. <laughs> then came the Mandela effect. 
And, you know, like a lot of people, when you found out your Bible was changing, you went to the fetal position for a couple of weeks. I mean, some people were wrecked for a long time, months, just like deer in the headlights. And so... You try to um, approach them, and you know what happens. So, as a lot of you guys know, um, my focus here is really not so much to cover specific changes, but to kind of explore the emotional and the spiritual consequences of the changes. So, <clears throat> how you doing? How you coping with the changes? How are you dealing with uh, your friends giving you ultimatums or, or your spouse divorcing you because they think you're nuts like mine did? <laughs> so now you're all alone and you're estranged from people you love because you love the truth and they don't. How's that going for you? That's what, what God has put me on this little journey for, is to lift up the believers that have been bludgeoned by this sign and wonder. Not so much the sign and wonder, but by those around you. But are you on good terms with Jesus? Because that's the only thing that's really going to carry you through. Because if all this is happening around you and you're not able to go and draw joy from the wells of salvation, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. I had to really stir myself and get back into a really strict discipline of prayer. Like my, I, have, I had to really make my life very simple. I'm like a one-trick pony life. It's just work and Jesus, family, if I can. But I'm I'm eradicating entertainment, TV, games. I don't do any of that anyway. I never really did, but now it's really, it's like. I don't even think about it. If I have free time, I get my guitar and I worship or I get books and study or I seek the Lord in prayer. I am seeking the Lord so I can fill my oils with lamp. And, you know, because when when Jesus' default position, if you've gotten off track, is return to your first love. That's that's the goal, okay? That goofy infatuation with Jesus. You remember what it was like? <laughs> Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus in the, in the noontime, right? So God wants us to get back. And, and so if your focus is the secret place where you're in communion, your hobby is Jesus, if your entertainment is Jesus, if your passion is Jesus, everything else will take care of itself. Really, the, the whole duty of man is to enjoy God, being happy, being filled with joy. That's how God wants us. And this all of this stuff that we traffic in can really drag you down into a melancholy state. And that is not the will of God for our lives. Now, once you have, have regained your, your, your balance, right, 
then we are to be fulfilling a duty to God to bring him glory. Did you know that you have a debt that you owe God? And it is to bring glory to his name. Hallelujah. That is your purpose in life. Because when you were in the womb, it was not the result of a biological process. It says very clearly that he knit you together in the womb. So you were literally created by a creator. And because of that, he seems to feel as though he has a claim upon you. <laughs> he wants his due, okay? You owe him a dividend. And that is that you let your light shine. You don't put it under a bushel and you walk in victory. You figure out your problems, get the demons out, get the sin out, and shout glory all the way to heaven, no matter what kind of rains come, doesn't matter. That's when we shine. When all of the hell breaks loose and we still have the joy of the Lord, that's when the people are going to come to you. Preach the gospel at all times and sometimes use words. Paul said, you are an epistle read by all men. I can't hear what you're saying. Your life is speaking too loud, right? And then our goal is to prepare our souls for the judgment and to bring as many souls as we can to heaven. That is your life in a nutshell. You're, the entirety of our life should be preparing for the day of judgment. Because think about it. If you hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I knew you not. What difference does it make? I'm coming back on the screen here. <laughs> what difference does it make if you are not a child of God? Your heart is not completely turned over to him. There is nothing else but the great and terrible day for a man or a woman's soul. That's it. We are to prepare as Noah did for 120 years to prepare for the flood of death. Every night, self-examination. Lord, have I offended you in any way? Is there anyone I need to reconcile with? I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I was with Dave Wilkerson in New York, he went to Germany one time and he visited with these nuns, the nuns of Darmstadt, Germany. And these nuns were so full of the Holy Ghost, even though they were nuns. I know Catholics, you know, all that. But these ladies knew the Lord, okay? And their thing was repentance. They would repent about everything. <laughs> he said they would. <laughs> Sister, Sister Jones, I just wanted to come and, and, and ask you to forgive me because yesterday when we were at the lunch service, I noticed that one of the locks of your hair was out of alignment and I felt a, a, um, an unkindness towards you because I felt that you were undisciplined and I wanted you to forgive me. <laughs> okay what are we allowing to fester in our hearts like like really grievous stuff 
I hate that person. I can't stand that person. No. No, you're not allowed to hate people. You are not allowed to hate anybody. Do you understand? I saw this couple and this guy abducted their daughter, took her away, and raped and tortured her over a long period of time, and they finally caught him, and she was dead. And then they get to allocute at the end, and they came up, and they were believers. And this was 20 years ago. I still remember it. And they went like this. Sir, we believe that you need to go to prison so that you don't hurt anybody else. But we want you to know that what you did hurt us very much, but we forgive you completely. Because I've seen, I seen the other one where the people get up there, I hope you rot in hell, you blankety <laughs> That's the normal thing to do, right? But these people knew the royal law of love. James said, to, to the degree that you forgive, you'll be forgiven. Jesus said the same thing. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Let me say that again. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, that's anybody. These people had their daughter taken from them in the most horrible possible way. So if anybody felt justified in having unforgiveness, it would be them, and they chose to forgive. Praise the Lord. I don't know who that was for, but there you go. So a lot of folks are really wrestling with this Bible change thing, though. I mean, it's been infiltrated. And then how are you coping with this? How are you dealing with the fact that the Bible has been infiltrated and most everybody around you can't see and doesn't want to see it? And they don't want you to see it. And then if you insist on seeing it, they don't even want you anymore as a friend. How's that going for you? The last one is like you live in a fortress in the 1600s. And you see the enemy that has covertly breached the walls of the city, and no one in the city knows it, and you're trying to warn them, and they don't believe you. (laughs) That's our life. How would that make you feel? Think you might take yours... You and yours out the back gate? Like, hey, if you people are going to be so suicidal and you don't even want to look into the fact that the Huns are at the front gate, I'm out of here because your stupidity is going to get me killed. (laughs) So as I said, I've been hearing this testimony of people walking out of the church because the pastor is misquoting the Bible because he wasn't recognizing the Bible changes week after week after week. And these people told me, I didn't, you know, they got up and walked out like I did. They didn't leave at the end. They stood up in the middle of the message and walked out. And, you know, a lot of what I share is just stuff that I've been dealing with or I'm going through because I'm not very different than a lot of people. 
and I guess folks can relate. <clears throat> so I just want to share the experience that I had the first time I saw the changes with my pastors and what led up to me walking out in the middle of the sermon. Maybe it'll help somebody. Because I don't actually remember exactly when I realized the Mandela effect was happening, but I do remember putting together a list of about 15 changes after I studied it for a while. And <clears throat> just to put it to the test, before I would approach them, though, um, I went up to the, the assistant pastor, and I was like, hey, Pastor Dan, in your memory, who laid down with the lamb? I didn't know what to expect. And he was like, oh, the lion. Like, duh. <clears throat> So then I asked the pastor the same question later that day. He said the exact same thing. And the, the pastor looked at me kind of inquisitively. He, he figured something was up. So I didn't show them the actual answer, like, well, go to Isaiah 11. I didn't do that. But once I had my little list, I asked for a meeting with both of them. And after church, we went out on the porch, and we sat there, and I started to explain <clears throat> what I thought was happening. And they looked at me like I had just gotten out of like a pink spaceship or something. It was very awkward. But I pressed through. I started to give them examples where I would ask them to fill in the blanks, you know, like take the quiz. And as I recall, they got almost all of them wrong. In other words, they misremembered like we do. But as I would give them the quiz, they would immediately start giving me an explanation for why it was that way. I call that commentarying your way out of it. And I remember, you know, even at that early stage, I remember thinking, so what? If you have an explanation for this, <laughs> how could you just deny your memory like that? You're getting these all wrong every time. Doesn't that register with you? Doesn't that mean anything to you? I mean, it's just such a blow-off. Like, what's the matter with you people? Have you, like, lost your marbles or something? It's worse than being blind, though, because they know it's wrong. You can see it in their, in their expression. So they've really, you know, my, my takeaway was they would crossed over to something more of a liar than just blind. But I decided to give them the benefit of the doubt on this first meeting. But the way this meeting went was a real problem for me. It was not what I expected. It seemed impossible that they could, they couldn't just like put two and two together, you know, come to the same conclusion we've come to. And, and how could they just brush aside such vivid proof, like their vivid memories? It just seemed impossible. But I went back, I did some more research. I got a second list with another 15 examples. I asked for a second meeting. And this is very similar to a lot of the people that I talked to. <clears throat> but it went pretty much the same. I'd give them the scriptures, they'd get it wrong, then they'd explain it away. But this time, there was a little bit more sarcasm and exasperation in their voice. They were, you know, trying to be respectful of me, because I was like the worship leader at this church. I wasn't like just, you know, somebody attending the church. I was in leadership. 
if you could call it that, whatever. I was participating. And uh, they also, though, began at this point expressing like their concern about me, right? You know, we're concerned about you, John. You know, what's going on? Like, they're concerned about my soul and my mind. And, and, my, and then there was also the sense that I was being starting to be looked upon as a threat, you know, to the flock. Like, I'm, I'm a heretic in a way. No, I'm not a heretic in a way. I am a heretic. If I believe the Bible's changing, I am a heretic. All a heretic means is you don't, you don't accept the, the widely accepted beliefs of that day. You're outside of orthodoxy, I guess. Although those of us in the Mandela Effect community are more orthodox than the orthodox think they are. They're in error because they don't actually know their scriptures. Anyway, the result of the second meeting was now there was a really big tension in the air and a sense of distance. I mean, I'm not sure how they felt, but as far as I was concerned, this was it seemed to be irreconcilable to me. I mean, this is not like, you know, we should sing five songs during worship and not seven. You know, what? some dispute. This is like the Bible's changing supernaturally by the devil. But I'm trying to have grace. I'm new to this thing. Of course, I'm there with my family. And, and so there's all of that. My family doesn't think it's happening. I mean, my wife and the children were young, a lot younger then. So it was really my wife doesn't believe in this. So there's all these things to consider. So I'm trying to stay faithful, you know. And I'm alone. I don't have any truthers to call yet. I don't have a support network. So it's just a very dicey situation. And there's all this tension. And so I'm just trying to stay in the thing. So I'm coming to church and I'm listening to them, but it's becoming more and more difficult on, on several levels. Every time they quote the Bible wrong, I'm going, oh, man. But I can't show that because my wife's sitting next to me. But I'm like, oh, it's a Bible change. I'm looking at the screen. Can't they see this as a change? I'm like tribulating on the inside. What's the matter with these people? So church just became like I was in a boxing ring. It was getting hammered. Going to church was like getting hammered in a boxing ring. <laughs> it was awful. It was just why can I see and these people can't see? Hello, McFly. It's like, what, what is going on? Church became this really twisted experience where suddenly I felt like a total outsider. This is my church family, and now I'm totally an outsider. I'm no longer a part of this family or this body. I became hyper-vigilant. So what that means is I would come to church and I would spend the entire service looking and waiting for some Bible changes to be glossed over. That was my, that was, that, that was what I was like. I'm like, I, 
I know it's going to happen. And so I'm just like cringing, waiting for it to happen. I'm watching when they put a slide up on the screen or if we would turn to your Bible and this, I would be looking for the Bible change so I could catch them not noticing it. <laughs> I know you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You are like doing the same thing. Like there's some secret detective on, on assignment. And they would never disappoint. But there were three things, okay, that really made it intolerable for me. Absolutely intolerable to go to church. The first thing was that I was going through all these machinations in my mind during service, which really kept me from entering in and enjoying the presence of God and enjoying the fellowship of the saints. I'm vexed. I am troubled, okay? But my wife is sitting next to me and is not experiencing any of this. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I'm sitting there just steaming. And of course, we had talked about Mandela and it was a total, a total bone of contention. So I couldn't point these things out in church. If I did, it would just cause an argument. So this was this was something that I had to do on my own. I had to not only experience them, I had to pretend they weren't happening while they were happening. And for me, that was really hard. That was really hard to do. <clears throat> but the next thing that was really intolerable for me was I would watch them typically ignore the changes, but once in a while, they would actually quote it from memory, even though the Bible that they were looking at said different words. And I just did that unintentionally myself with Job. I just did it. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That's what I remember. And that's what I said while I was looking at the words that were different. Isn't that phenomenal? I just did that. So I would see them doing that. And I would be like, what's the matter with these people? So during this time, this pastor that I was with was a staunch King James guy, King James only. He even made the point, not new King James, only the original King James, right? Which is fine. I mean, I, I don't want to get into all that. But Corinthians, he's reading Corinthians 13, 13 which in the King James says, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I got a King James Bible. He's got a King James Bible. And he's reading from the King James Bible, Corinthians 13, 13. And as we're looking at the words, he's saying, and now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I remember when that happened. I I remember saying to my wife, I need to go to the restroom. <laughs> I, I did excuse myself, you know, like I had to get out of there because it was just, it's unacceptable, okay? I was so shocked and disappointed and I had to hold all this inside me and not even make any facial expressions or anything that this was taking place 
And then the other thing that began happening, which for me was unbearable to watch, was what I call the common misconception speech. It's a common misconception that Jesus was born in a manger, in a barn. Because the Bible teaches he was born in a house. I remember sitting there. We were actually visiting another church that Sunday. And I guess it was Christmas. And the guy gets to the nativity thing. And he starts He starts into the it's a miscommon misconception speech. And I'll probably get people that will post on this trying to defend the fact that, you know, Herod didn't come for two years later. Whatever, whatever your reasoning is, I don't care because every single front lawn, every municipality, every table, and every Christian home has a nativity scene on it, yet it never happened. It never existed. Jesus was never born in a manger in a barn. It was in a house. But we all have these nativity scenes. I mean, really? So one time when they were doing this, as they started to talk about it, I leaned over to my wife and I said, honey, this is an example of the Mandela effect. And she got really mad. So I could never do that again. It was totally off limits. And so I had to endure this alone. And so I not only had to watch them quote things like Jacob wrestled with a man, but then I would have to listen to them give this explanation about how a lot of people have the misconception that Jacob wrestled with an angel. And that really was the tipping point for me. Because now I'm witnessing them teaching false doctrine. And I began to see how diabolical this was, and it really raised the level of concern and alarm to a whole nother level. But one of the other challenges that it created was the sense of disrespect that it created in me because of this, because this is happening. The guy at the front of the room is telling everyone that it's a common misconception, that people think Moses threw down the staff, but it was actually Aaron. You know, whatever. I kept hearing these, it's a common misconception speeches about Mandela effect changes. And see, this was where it really got to me. My wife is knows I think it's a Mandela effect. She's sitting next to me, nodding and saying amen to the guy at the front of the room, trying to explain away the Mandela effect. You follow me? I'm at I'm at odds with my wife over this. She thinks I'm nuts and it's not happening. I think it's happening. And now the guy at the front of the room is basically, in his own ignorance, he's defending the blindness. He's, he's trying to make excuses about these Mandela effects, not knowing what he's talking about. And my wife is eating it up. That was really degrading. It was humiliating. And I just had to suck it up, suck it up, suck it up. Just be there. Just be there for my family. Be there for God. But see, the pastor was justifying the changes from the pulpit, and he was driving a wedge between me and my wife, and he didn't even know it. What if the pastor saw the changes, and he was defending the truth? Maybe I'd still be married. I know that's a long shot. 
There was nobody in that church that I could talk to. Certainly not the pastors. I tried talking to them twice. Certainly not my wife. That was instant World War III. I took three passes at other people in the church, and they basically just patted me on the head and said, that's nice, dear. So how was your weekend? So I got that message loud and clear. So all of these things taken together began to build up every Sunday, build up in me. My wife has no clue. She's just sitting there praising the Lord. I'm like, really, dude? Really? That makes it even worse when you're the only one tribulating over this in church. Nobody notices there's a fox in the hen house. Hello, there's a Trojan horse just dragged into the sanctuary. You don't notice the devil's filthy fingers all up in your Bible. But it's worse because you told the guy at the front of the room what was happening twice, and he blew you off like some newbie nobody that was a troublemaker in his church, and he just went right on with his Jesus-as-usual program. And you're sitting there thinking, like, what planet am I on? I, I mean, what? These people are smart, godly people. So that's working in the back of your mind that you've been brushed aside. And they just keep right on quoting the scriptures wrong and read them wrong and reinterpret them wrong real time and then post them on the screen wrong. And you're just getting bludgeoned. And you just have to smile and pretend nothing is happening. That's our journey. But see, if you're on this transmission, you're probably listening. You can't go along because you're an alpha type. That's how God made you. You are an alpha type, which means... You see something and you're like a bulldog. You bite into it and you just don't let go. In this case, it's the truth you've bitten into. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there trying to be faithful, right? Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. <laughs> I know. Let's not open, unpack that. I understand, but we all have this. We were all indoctrinated into the sense that if you're if you're a Christian, you'll be in church on Sunday. So I'm trying to be faithful to my family, go to church, and 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 I'm sitting there one day, and <laughs> all this has been building up and building up. And so the assistant pastor's preaching, godly guy, love the guy, and he quotes James. Okay, here's the, here's the passage at the top of your screen here, as it is right now in the King James Bible. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So he says work instead of word, and I look at him, and I'm expecting him to go, hey, wait, that's not right. But there's nothing. He just keeps right on going. Then I look over at the other assistant pastor, and he's just nodding and bobbing, right? Praising the Lord. Then I look at the senior pastor, he's just praising the Lord. Nobody's saying, uh, Brother Dave, I think you misquoted that, brother. Nobody's like rustling through their Bible saying, wait, wait, what, what translation is he using? Or Nothing. 
he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, the whole thing is about being a doer of the word. And I'm thinking, are these people zombies? Are they pretenders? Are they blind? I mean, now you can lay on top of that liars or villains, conspirators, because I told them. I gave them examples in two different meetings. So now this is happening, and they know it, and they're still not saying anything. All this is going through my mind, and finally I turned to my wife and I said, I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm sorry. I'll see you at home. And I stood up and I walked out of my church. I left my wife and my four kids with her. And you know what I did? I went home. At that point, I finally figured out there was such a thing as residual evidence. So I put I put this passage or this last part of it in quotes. And you can't really do this much anymore. AI has cleaned up its act. It's harder to find residual now. Back then, you could find residual a lot easier. But I went and Googled this, and I found this quote from a prayer journal from like the 1890s. Okay? And it's, it's, they used like a funny F. It looks like an F, but it's an S. So that's not a Mandela effect. But as you can see, it says here, up top, but a doer of the work, and down here, but a doer of the word. That is the original message that God gave us. That's the original autograph. That's the eternal word of God that's immutable, that's written on our hearts. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. The scriptures, however, are not forever settled in heaven. The Word of God cannot change. The Scriptures, however, can change because there they are, changed, right in front of your face. I don't know what this is that I'm looking at. It's some artifact from another time stream or another universe or another consciousness. It's not an implanted thought. Well, there it is. And that's what I knew what the Bible said, and when he didn't say it, and nobody's going to say, uh, hello, I, I couldn't take it another second, and I stood up. I just, I couldn't manage all of these really powerful, like, conflicting values that I had held. Where are my allegiances supposed to be, Lord? Is it you? What about my family? What about my commitments to the church? What about my kids? What about the duty to uphold your honor and the importance of truth? I mean, we are all guardians of the truth, and it's under attack. So that that like that is an allegiance that we all feel very strongly about, but where does it fall within the hierarchy of importances? Like with with your family or friendships, who gets the back seat in this? So I needed time to try to sort this out. I left there, and I just was very alone. That's what I remember feeling. Right? If you've ever done this, just put it in the chat. 
if you're here and you stood up and you walked out of the church, just put something in the chat like, yeah, I did that. Or I don't know, whatever you want. Yeah, this is a good thing. I mean, church is awesome. I love church. I got saved in a church. Blue Heaven says, I miss the fellowship. I miss church. I don't care what anybody says. I love church. Church was where I got saved. Angelia says, I did. Chrissy said, I did. DJ left the church. I mean, we're not dissing on church. We're not anti-church. We're not anti, you know. Rhonda, I walked out too. It's just that we want Jesus. Now, since that time, Sonia says, I didn't I didn't walk out, but instead I just didn't go back. <laughs> J dub, I only left the building, not the church. Amen. Sherry says, This is the church. Chrissy says, I told my pastor two different times and was looked at and was looked at like I was silly. I left. You were silly. Silly you. <clears throat> so my wife was not happy though when I left. She felt like I had abandoned my family. And I mean, I guess I I can relate. I didn't abandon them completely just that day in church. I mean, I was at home when they got home, but you can imagine what that was like. But I'll tell you, this was a tipping point for me. I think a lot of us reached that somewhere along the way, and it's a lot like the Truman Show. When Truman, if you ever watched the Truman Show, that movie, it's really awesome. It to totally describes our experience there was one scene where he walks into this office building. He's trying to get on the elevator, but they messed up. So the elevator doors uh, opened, but Truman was able to see all these actors sitting at a table behind the elevator. And then they quickly rushed to fix the set, but it was too late. He had seen that it was fake, and there's no putting the genie back in the bottle, man. And... That's where a lot of us get on this journey. We've seen too much and we can't unsee. We can't go along to get along anymore. And we stand up. Maybe it's not in church that you walked out of, but you stood up and walked out of the Truman Show that you were in one way or another. And so in that movie, once he saw that, Truman's whole world comes crashing down. I mean, he was like, he had a job, and he has his fiance and he has all these friends, and it's all fake. Everything and everybody around him became suspect. He started looking at everybody to see if he could see them 
go out of character. Remember, he's sitting there and he's watching the people in the in the center square and they see if they fall out of character, and he catches some of them doing it. All his obligations and commitments become suspect. Like, what, what's the difference if I go to work if it's fake? All of this relationships were circumcised around one issue, and that is, are you part of this conspiracy or are you like me? Are you trapped in this fake world? So the Mandela effect experience for us is, is where we've lost our balance and we're like trying to figure out what's real, man. I mean, the Bible isn't real. You know, what's real? And how do we get out of this? Because your Bible's changing, so your reality is time streams morphing. It's it's no longer like you know a little hobby, like you studying the you know the proofs that the moon landing's fake. Okay, because if the Bible wasn't changing, it was just things in pop culture, maybe geography, different stuff, but not the Bible. This would be a very different thing for many of us. The Bible is a very big boundary to be crossed for many of us. That's the point where a lot of us say, not on my watch. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now you went too far, devil. It's kind of like, it's like the difference between some neighborhood kids, like, swipe an old rusty bike from your backyard versus some home invader kidnaps your child. No. Oh, oh, that's, that's a showstopper, right? It's go time. Uh, you're either with the truth and you're with me or I have to go without you. I love you, but I can't do life as usual anymore. Bible's changing. You know, the fact that the Mandela effect has been allowed to touch the Bible is DEFCON 1 level importance. It's a game changer. It's high stakes poker. It's all the chips are in the middle of the table. It's all hands on deck. It's the end of the age. Forget about saving for retirements. Forget about the vacays. Forget about building the pool. Forget about whatever it is. The term that I started using is I started saying, I, I've gotten off the bus. I'm sorry. And to me, getting off the bus meant I was no longer willing to pretend that the world was real. You want to pretend the world is real? Go ahead. But I can't participate in that charade another second. I'm willing to allow you to believe that we landed on the moon if you want to. I'll let you believe the earth is flat. It's a spinning ball. I'm sorry. I'll let you believe it's not flat, right? But I can't go along with the fact that the Bible's not changing. I'm sorry. My integrity doesn't allow it. I got to get off the bus. Now, actually, in my case, I was even willing to not talk to my wife or my kids about the Bible changes just to keep the peace, right? Keep everything together, but that wasn't enough. I was essentially told I have to stop being a crusader out here on my own time. No wake up or else ministry. No, 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 no. And I thought, 
This need that all these people have for us to pretend that we're like them in order to have a relationship with us, it might be fine if, if we're talking about moon landing and things like that. But when I was growing up, I was a kid, we had this saying, if, you, if we weren't willing to go along with something that you were talking about, we would tell them, homie, don't play that. Okay, we'd go like this. Homie, don't play that. We got that from the black girls at Montclair High School. Homie, don't play that. Sorry. Wanda Portlock. She was my friend. And that's what they would say. And so I was. I just got to the homie, don't play that point. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gotten off the bus. This is happening. If you don't want to look into it, that's your journey. But I'm on this journey. You're either with me or you're not with me. You want me to knuckle under? You want me to pretend I'm a normie so I don't have to talk about these things? Can't do, blubber do. That's no for you. The answer is no. I'm not going to be silent to keep the peace. I'm not going to be silent to keep my happy life with you. I'm not going to be silent so you can't. don't have to get mad. I'm sorry the truth makes you mad. I happen to love the truth. Why don't you love the truth? I'm not going to be silent to stop you from getting angry with me. Not going to do it. Jesus said... They hated me. They're certainly going to hate you. So I'm like, well, let's get on with it. But when I walked out of church, I remember being really confused because the emotions surrounding this event were really complicated. It's all these different things. And so I really started to think about it, and I'm going to drill down on this even further. I talked about how when I was growing up, I had a, a, a lot of trauma. But one of the benefits of growing up with a mom who was an alcoholic, she had anger, mental issues, was I learned how to step back and analyze. What is she really saying? <laughs> and and it was a survival technique, but it actually helps me in life doing things like this. So maybe I say that if you have abusive situations right now in your past or right now, God will use it because he will. So what is it about all this that really just runs us off the rails? Well, the first thing I, I recognized is the reason we can't go along with, with the charade anymore, we have to get off the bus, is the Bible is really, really, really important. <laughs> like I said, if we were talking about, you know, should we have three fast songs and then two medium and three slow? Or should we have more slow songs for, you know, those kind of like nonsense conversations? No, we're talking about the Bible is changing by the devil. The devil's changing the Bible. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Well, Psalms 138 gives us a, a glimpse into how exalted God thinks of his word. He's magnified his word above even his name, which I don't have any idea what that means. All I know is that it means that the word's really important, super important. I mean, the Bible has transformed the world. 
It's one of the most published and printed books in history. It's been printed in almost every language, including Braille, every year since it was written. It's been the greatest bestseller year after year. People are willing to die for this book just to get access to it. You're in a country where there's persecution. People are dying to transport Bibles, to get Bibles. They'll give their loved ones up. I mean, this is this is an important book. And of course, it contains life-changing messages from God to man, how to get to heaven, how to live a life that's pleasing to him. It explains our duty, and it convicts us of what we're doing wrong. It talks with authority about the afterlife. It's priceless, and it's under attack, and the leadership is looking the other way. Now, the ark is not the Bible, but it's a type of the of God and his word. And, and, and the, this was just a glimpse at how, how it was to be handled. Uh, the ark was to be carried on two wooden poles inserted through rings on its side. There were all these rules about how the ark was to be handled. And this one time, this guy, this, the ox stumbled. Uza, and he's carrying the ark on the one side, and he went, the ark, the ox stumbles, and the ark is about to fall over. So he tries to steady the ark, but that was a violation, and he God killed him on the spot. And it even says God, David was mad at God because he was so stern. But it's a, it's an illustration of how exalted. The Bible is in the eyes of God. And so that makes it very upsetting when the church leadership is not acknowledging that this most important book is so under attack and they just go on as business as usual. Well, when you think about it too, if you look on the screen here, for most Christians, the Bible holds a very exalted position in the hierarchy of things that are important to them. So if you if you see this list here, what is the most important thing in your life? What comes first in your life? Usually, I think most people would agree it's God and the, and the Bible and then family. Right? You put family first, you're you're out of the norm. It's God, family, now, the next one may vary, but health, I mean, if you don't have your health, you're kind of hosed, then maybe security, social, friends, creativity, contribution. You know, it gets a little different down here. People have different ideals, but God is at the top of the list in the Bible. And this thing is under attack and nobody wants to talk about it because it's too painful. All right, but the second thing that really creates an incredible sense of, of uh, acrimony is how obvious it is. I mean, I know about everybody like me. We thought everybody would see this. I mean, we thought like everybody would be talking about it. By now, we've been blasting away at this. I don't know. I'm in this like six years now. Cats, maybe seven years. Others like Mike, Wake and Saint, Ernie, other people. Years and nothing. 
Nobody's biting down on this that we can tell. So it's like you know, if there was a, a nuclear bomb that hit New York, I mean, you'd think everybody would know about it like with 30 minutes, right? But this is like that. It's a nuclear bomb in the, in the Christian world, and nobody knows about it, you know, after five years, seven years. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So that kind of rubs you the wrong way. Because you expect the people who are given charge over men's souls would be the first ones to notice that the Bible has been changed. But much to your surprise, the church leaders are not only not aware of it, they are the most difficult to talk to about it. And so that brings me to the next thing that I found was really a problem for me was that as a result of this blindness that they have, we lost trust in our leaders. Because if anybody should see this, they should. So I said here, if you can't see the Bible changes, then we have a problem. So most of us, we found out about this. We immediately went to our pastors with the expectation that they're going to be as alarmed as we were. But we find out something very differently, didn't we? I mean, you picture that they're going to receive what you have to say. And then together, you know, you're going to find comfort together and get through this and plot a course with what God wants you to do. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, we found out something very different. You find a church leader that is unreceptive. They're often dismissive. They're very cynical a lot of times. They'll even get agitated or touchy and cut you off, cut, out, cut the meeting short. They'll tell you, I, I really don't have time to look into this anymore. You feel violated. You feel misunderstood. You're angry. You're disillusioned. Your, your disappointment cannot be expressed in words. Outrage. How could little old you see this and, and the supposed man of God or woman of God not see it? And not only that, how could they not see it, but then not give it the proper consideration once you show it to them? It's not like they, they, they're just oh, unaware of it. You tell them about it, and they still don't see it. And you're like, look, you may be comfortable violating your conscience over and over, but I'm not. I, I mean... You're not going to put on your big boy pants and stop sitting out this dance because you don't like the music? Then you are disqualified for leading my soul anywhere, pal. I'm sorry that these signs and wonders rub you the wrong way, but this is not my universe. I didn't create this. So you need to get with the program. It's the end days. Go bust out Enoch and maybe bone up on some Enoch. Maybe that'll help you. Well, then what happens is you start to lose rapport very quickly with these people because there now exists a very significant controversy. We are no longer even close to being on the same page. 
And, you know, in, in a way, it's understandable. Nothing like this has ever happened before. It's very difficult to believe that something this fantastic could be happening. Then there's this widely held doctrine. It's very strongly held that clearly teaches the Bible can't change. But their mistake is that they believe the words Scripture and the word Word are interchangeable, and they're not. I had somebody post today. I don't believe the Bible's changing. And they quoted two passages. One was, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it says, his word is forever settled in heaven. Those are the two passages that they quoted. Okay? Well, it doesn't say the scriptures are the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're just glossing over this part of the, the scripture that they're quoting. It's out of context, not out of context. It's misapplied. It doesn't say the scripture is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't say the scripture is forever settled in heaven. It says thy word is forever settled in heaven. And every Sunday for the last 40 years, the guy in the front of the room held up the Bible and said, this is God's eternal word. It says God's unchangeable internal word. No, it's not. It's, it's the scriptures which testify of God's eternal word. That's the difference. Because we all believed that the scriptures couldn't change as well until the scriptures started changing. And then we said, well, this is happening. It must not be teaching that. And so these masters of illusion have done this phenomenal job at hiding these things in plain sight. So they show you all the things that are real in the science fiction movies. The portals, the transhumanism with the superheroes, the time travel, the you know multiple dimensions. All this stuff that's real that we're experiencing is in the sci-fi movies. And then when you try to point it out to them, they immediately say, oh, that's just science fiction. It's ingenious to hide it in plain sight like that because it works like a champ. And then in the same way, anything that is real that challenges the official story is lumped into a category called conspiracy theories. And once it's lumped into that group, it's easily dismissed as unfounded and it's not worthy of consideration, so you get blown off. The Mandela effect is just a conspiracy theorist kook theory to them. So how can I get rid of you? You know, you're like, uh, you know, Charlie Brown's parents. I don't know if you guys ever seen Charlie Brown cartoons like for Halloween or Christmas or whatever. And, and it's all just the kids. But whenever their parents come on, they don't come on the screen, and all you hear them when the parents talk is wah, 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 wah. That's how the parents talk. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> That's you talking to your pastor. You sound like this to them. Wah, 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 wah. You're talking nonsense. You're a conspiracy theorist kook trafficking in the dark corners of the Internet on the fringe of society.
But the end result of this is that you and everyone that doesn't see are in two different worlds now. Two different worlds. Maybe even literally. I mean, you might, you know, this may be a, a shifting in and out of different. I don't, I don't know what's happening, but all I'm saying is, is that we, we've really changed a lot. All of us in this community have been transformed, and it's a transformative event that our families don't, they don't understand, and they don't want to understand. They don't understand, and they do not want to understand. They don't try to hear you out. I mean, they do it first, but then eventually they give you the ultimatum. If you want to have a relationship with me, don't talk about this stuff anymore. They freeze you out, and now you are in hell. H-E double hockey sticks. All right, well, another thing that I acknowledged or I, I recognized that caused me to stand up and walk out of church was we've lost trust because it appears that the weight of our credibility was undervalued. There should have been a greater willingness for examination based on the close ties and the long-standing testimony of my life and your life. And so it seems as though we are grossly dishonored in these encounters. They didn't give you the benefit of the doubt. They didn't hear you out. Well, I know you've been in this church for 20 years. You helped break ground with us. You're a founder of this church, and your walk is impeccable, and you're a deacon, but you're nuts, and you're a kook. And if you talk about this anymore, you're, you're going to get out of here, right? It's like, it's like what happened to the, the debt that you owe me as a friend? And as a as a known quantity, okay, you owe me. You ever have that conversation? Hey, Bill, this is me you're talking to, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> Wait a minute, you can't just blow this off. You're talking to me, man. You know me. I'm not lying. There's none of that, okay? You don't get the benefit of the doubt. Well, now that creates a problem for me. I'm having trouble trusting you. And you better be able to trust your pastor. All right. And this kind of continuous bungling that they're demonstrating from the front of the room, their breathtaking lack of discernment was like an open wound that was just getting injured over and over, having a hot, rusty knife stuck in there, rolling around again every Sunday. Church became, to me, like a clown show in the most inappropriate place possible, the house of God. A clown show. How, how are you able to do what you're doing with a straight face? It was like being violated, like someone being abused or, or slimed over. This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. Stop the presses. Everything should come to a grinding halt when the pastor is approached by this. Game over. New rules. End of the world, right? This is like, no. Business as usual, baby. 
Can't do, blah, blah, do. That's what we used to say. Homie, don't play this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But this is not, this is not happening, okay? If you're going to persist in going on with this thing, you're going with, I'm out of here, okay? Because the next thing that hit me like a two-by-four was pastors are supposed to protect the flock, not look the other way. See this guy on the phone here and his wife is all in a panic? This is you. Right here, the lady is you. <laughs> and this is your pastor. La-di-da-da-di-da-da. Let's read from our King James Bible. You know, that's full of grammatical errors, like it was written by a fifth grader. But it's always been that way. <laughs> but see, you've got a zeal for God's house and this strong sense of duty to protect God's honor forced a confrontation with the church leader. Because they are displaying a reckless disregard for the duties of their office to protect the sheep. You've got more integrity than him. And you're like, are you going to step up and be a shepherd or are you just a hireling? Because if you're a hireling, I got I to gotta move on. You have crossed the threshold. Okay? I don't expect you to walk in, in sinless perfection, Pastor. But if you're, if you're a hatchet murderer, I got to go. I can't give you what you deserve, which is my allegiance. Okay, if you're going to pretend that this is not happening for whatever reason, I don't even care anymore, okay? Because this is the last stop, this next one. After a period of time, the reasons for their blindness became irrelevant because the result was the same. I realized that I was now aligning myself with church leaders that were engaged in the deception of the souls of men, whether they knew it or not. It no longer mattered to me. I tried warning them, but I was dismissed. And as a result, if I stay, I now feel that I am an accomplice. I am complicit with this conspiracy to seduce God's people into a one-world religion and the worship of the Antichrist. Because their unexplainable blindness pushed them into a new category in my mind. They went from a category of extreme respect and admiration to something more akin to a villain. Now, you may suggest that I'm being overdramatic, but as I mentioned the bible is the most important thing in all of our lives and in the kingdom of heaven and it is under an extreme attack which is going past the notice of the majority of the body of christ so you can't diminish this in any way And then, you know, this doesn't even go into the whole 5013C controversy where churches who are 5013C cannot speak out about political stuff. And so, therefore, you have, you know, abortion, you've got LBGT, you've got all of the funky stuff that the church, which is supposed to be the pillar of truth in society and the salt of the earth. Like, I'll give you an example the, um, the League of Nations. Was was the attempt at a new world order back in the like the fifties, but all of the churches then, or the majority of them, were were very 
um, active in preaching end times prophecy stuff. So when they tried to push the League of Nations, the churches started roaring from the pulpits. This is the uh, one world religion. Blah, blah, and, they, and they busted it up. It pushed it back till now. And so this 513C for a lot of people is a deal breaker. And then, of course, you've got all of the entertainment worship, which was dragged into the sanctuary. You know, people emulating Whitney Houston, you know, in their mind, they get to be a rock star every Sunday. And all the churches were turned over to 20-somethings. Being a worship leader is a pastoral position. It's got you need somebody up there with some some seasoning, you know, and every church was like twenty somethings are running the thing, and it was just a rock concert, fun time where they get to you know get their musical rocks off. It's like, come on, guys, what what you know, and the and a lot of the music trivializes God to a party scene. Like Toby Mac concert is a party scene, and it just trivializes the great God Jehovah into this 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 dumbed down kind of incantation worship that's just relying on atmospheres instead of doctrine that's why the hymns are so awesome it's musically it's very plain because the focus isn't on the music it's on the doctrine and you're swept away by the doctrine like a prayer right but a lot of the music now is more akin to witchcraft. It's more akin to trying to stir up an emotional response. And <clears throat> it's not, God is not pleased. And then, you know, a lot of churches have just gamified church. They're making the church lobby into a Starbucks fun center. So everybody saunters into church like 12 minutes late clutching their latte with, a, of course, it's got a cup heat protector and they got their torn jeans and they come to watch the show. I mean, the church that my family's going to right now, I went one Sunday about two months ago and they literally had smoke machines during the worship. And even while the guy was preaching, the smoke machines are going in the back. I'm like, really? I couldn't believe it. You know, that's what the Catholic Church did. They created all this pomp and circumstance with the miters and the robes and the big cathedrals because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And they had to manufacture the awe of God. But God will not share his glory with another. And you can't fake the anointing. You cannot fake the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can go through the motions and you can have great musicianship. But when it comes down to it, God flows through the hearts of people, not their instruments. It's not through the excellence of the musicianship or the beat. It's through hearts that are burning for him. He flows through burning hearts that long for him long for the secret place. They long for Jesus. That's what Jesus flows through. So 
you know, we're told in as much as possible, be at peace with all men. So, you know, I'm not in any way suggesting that you jump out of anything, church, family, anything. Um, you have to follow the leading of the Lord for yourself and weigh the, the, the cost. But I can tell you, for me, I tried, to, I tried as long as I could, but I finally had to choose a side. You know, and you're basically going to offend either man or God. You have to pick one. <laughs> you got to pick one because you can't please them both. So, I um, never went back. Actually, I did. I, I did start going to another church for a while. And I think I lasted about three months. I was pretty faithful going there. I was actually running sound, doing stuff. And um, what it was, I stopped going because I just, like I was trying. I was going to the men's group on Friday. I was trying to connect with the guys, you know, create relationships. With, and you know, usually when you get born again, what you realize is your old friends that are in the world talk about nothing and you can't take it. So now you have Christian friends and you're so happy. Now your Christian friends are very fulfilling and you're talking about Jesus. Well, now you're with the Jesus people and you feel the same thing. You can't talk about Flat Earth or Mandela or, you know, any of the realities of what's going on and the hour and and it's the same thing all over again you're like a secret agent you're you're there was one or two people that i tried to begin to talk with i gave them the bible quiz and they got them all wrong and then about six or seven into it they they were like so what's the point of this you know the bible's changing thing i was like what do you mean well the bible can't change I was like, well, you just got eight out of eight wrong. What, how do you think that happened? Well, you just can't trust the memory. I was like, seven. They're like, what? I said, what, what number did I just say? I just said a number. What number did I just say? They were like, seven. I said, how certain are you that I said seven? They're like, 100%. So you can remember things and be certain about it. Yeah. And so when I asked you about the lion and you said lion and then it was wolf, you can't be certain about that. Well, I mean, they have all these reasons. And it's like, it's just like, it's like their heads are encased in stone or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they want to know. I've had people tell me that I don't know and I don't want to know. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding me, man. I want to know. I want to know what God knows. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week, Lord willing. And if you'd like to learn more about how to face the inevitable pushback that comes when you start to question the official story, be sure to pick up a copy of the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide. It's a guidebook for persecuted truthers. 
It's on Amazon, or you can get it through my website, which is wakeuporelse.com. It's on audio or paperback. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter so we can be notifying you when we're doing an interactive live stream. There's a lot more content on the truther journey, as well as the supernatural Bible changes on my YouTube channel, which is Wake Up or Else, all one word. And remember, if anybody calls you a kook or a conspiracy theorist nut, you hold up your finger and you tell them, hey, I may be mistaken, but I am not crazy. <laughs>